think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 125 of The Boys in Short Pants, the 125th episode. I'm Laurent Carboneau. God, it's only been 125, eh? We're not, we're not moving through those numbers very quickly. We quick are not. These days. The, the, rate of, uh, the rate of acceleration not very high these days, no. That's how it goes. Yes. Uh, well, hello, everyone. Uh, we also have a special guest joining us today. Uh, please welcome to the program, Sean Murphy. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. I gotta tell you, I've been refreshing my podcast feed. Oh, over and over again, <laughs> waiting for 125. Well, terribly disappointed. We needed yeah, you to, to come over first. Decided you just help us out, get yeah. that thing over the line. So, so I'm happy to be here to, to, to get us to that number, get you to that number. Thank you. Well, we're delighted to have you. So for, for the, the the listeners who may not be aware of Sean, and I suppose as, a, as the consummate uh, behind-the-scenes guy, you may not be. Uh, Sean, do you want to talk a little bit about, about your background and, and why you're here today? Well, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I walked in off the street and you offered me a beer, and so I just said, "Yeah, I'll sit down and talk." Let's go. You look familiar. I, I figured you'd have some good stories. So, yeah. Uh, so, my yes, my name is Sean. I'm an alcoholic. And, <laughs> no, that's not true. Okay, but, yeah, we'll, we'll scrub that in post, right? Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I recently uh, was the chief of staff in the Conservative Whip's office. Uh, having spent about a decade on Parliament Hill, um, uh, much of that time in the Conservative Whip's office, uh, going back to the government days uh, in, and all the way through opposition until uh, this past September. So, uh, Yeah, so I would have met you probably my first week or two on the Hill, or at least when they let me out of the office for the first time to, to wander over to Parliament. I recognize you from. <laughs> <laughs> As the person who I had to go to the door and fill out a little card and get your permission to come into the to the government lobby, and then I would often charge my phone at your desk because it was always dying. Yes, yes, the all powerful lobby desk who you know was like the the gatekeeper of gatekeepers. You know, we, I was the true gatekeeper who uh, kept all the staff in the uh, bullpen. In which the is why you're lobby. which is why you're no longer working there. And the, the part of his move to get rid of first gatekeeper. <laughs> first gatekeeper gone. Uh, Already get an action. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah we like get to see results. results. Get like results. To uh, so yeah, you, you, it's a very unique perch in politics. And, and you know, uh, I, when I worked on the Hill, obviously, you know, you, you interact with your, your your lobby desk and with the whip's office, and, and usually it's them. You're reminding you of something you haven't done, or or you know, haranguing you because you didn't do it. Uh, so it, it's not a, a post that I think a lot of folks have an appreciation of exactly what it is that they do and. Uh, and, you know, sort of the value add. So I, I think we wanted to just get a sense from you of, like, first of all, like, you know, what the, the general ins and outs for, for listeners of, of what that kind of looks like. And I guess we can just start at the beginning of, of, you know, how did you end up in the WIPS office? And sort of what was your kind of first little bit there like? And how accurate is Kevin Spacey's portrayal of what well, being a whip is like. Yes, exactly. So I think uh, what your listeners should know. Whip. Is, yeah. What your listeners ought to know is that um, House of Cards is more a documentary than a drama. It's <laughs> absolutely accurate. That is exactly how things go down and people ought to fear us. Uh, it's not like Veep. <laughs> Nothing like Veep. Uh, no, it's uh, way more deep than House of Cards, which I'm sure has been said a thousand times, even on this podcast. Um, but, you know, backing way up, I mean, I've always looked at the role of the whip and the office of the whip as kind of 
giving structure to the parliamentary lives of uh, elected MPs. So, you know, MPs have so many different rules they have to play in their constituencies in Ottawa, but the whip really helps to give structure to that in so many different ways. Uh, so, you know, uh, if you look at, if you were, one analogy one person once used, which I thought was quite helpful, was uh, to consider the whip's office or the whip himself or the whip's office as uh, air traffic control. Yeah. So each MP is like a plane and they all come to Ottawa and they, you know, they all want to do, uh, they all want to do everything, right? Or they, they, first of all, a lot of them don't know what there is to do, so they also need to be told what there is to do before they can be told what to do. But, you know, uh, the say the Conservative Party, as it is right now with 119 members, um, right now the way that uh, committees are composed, let's say just as an example, uh, there are four slots on each committee. So not all members, so there, I... I of 119, I would say there's probably 70 who want to be on the agriculture committee. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the whip in in the whip's role. Not as many liberals, I'm sure, are begging for the agriculture committee. Uh, you know, the ones who want it, they'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, but the 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 whip's role in that regard is to basically get structure and say, okay, no, they're the ones who are going to say these are the members who are going to be on the agriculture committee. And these are the ones who are going to be in the finance committee, and those those are the happy ones. And then uh, you go on down the list, and then some people get stuck on the committees that they prefer that no one really wants to be on. But that's that's the breaks, right? Uh, so in that sense, so that's just one example of how the whip gives structure to the lives of the MPs. Uh, beyond that, the 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 whip will assign offices uh, to the MPs uh, throughout the parliamentary precinct. As in, yeah, as in the physical offices in the different buildings the in the precinct. Space, yeah, so that's another... Like, so these, like, up, ending up in Confed, they don't like you, end up in Wellington, you, know, yes. you did something right. <laughs> exactly. You get a nice corner in Wellington, or you can be on the ninth floor of Confed and... Uh, is there ninth floor there? In any case, justice. That's the punishment floor. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. There's a couple broom closets up there for the people who, uh, who, who uh, act up. So, anyway, the... So, in any case, it's, it's, it's the structure that they give. So, beyond that, I mean, you also have the House duty and the, uh, the debates in the House. So, a lot of that goes through the Whip's office. So, like I was talking about earlier, how he, was, how he had to go through the lobby desk to get into the lobby. Well, because the lobby itself is basically controlled by the Whip's office or the Whip, right? It's under their authority. So, the Whip's staff have the authority to tell PPS who can and cannot go in. So oftentimes, uh, you know, PPS will say, you know, you know, it doesn't matter who they are. They could be the ambassador to, you know, Azerbaijan. And they could come by and say... A, a very vaunted official. <laughs> Otherwise, has all the doors open yeah. to him. So like, let me into that lobby. And then, and then that PPS officer would come and say, Sean, can I let this fellow in? And I would say, absolutely him. Sure. His Excellency, the ambassador <laughs> yeah, of Azerbaijan, yeah. you bet. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, so to zoom out a little bit, because you, you, we mentioned the lobby a couple times here, and perhaps for folks who just, their, their Ottawa geography is perhaps rusty. Uh, you, everyone knows the House of Commons. Uh, on either side of the House of Commons, behind the, the big curtains, are, are the government and opposition lobbies, where government and opposition MPs, respectively, uh, can hang out, enjoy some sparkling uh, sparkling water or still water at their preference and occasional food. Maybe a uh, Ooh, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Uh, fancy over there in the government lobby now. Yes. They've, they've got the lime wedges. They get the lime wedges. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, but for, for folks, yeah, and, and if you're coming into, you know, the, the House of Commons or the sort of area, like, you have to, attend mentioned a little card. If you don't have a sort of, if you're not an MP or you don't have, uh, you know, the, the lobby, like, sticker on your hill pass uh, or whatever it was, like, I have oh, those the lobby pass, yeah. which the WIPS office also controls, yeah. right? So they can assign those. They can say to accreditation and of the House of Commons and say, you know, it's him gets a lobby pass, yeah. but Rohan doesn't. I, yeah. I briefly like, had one. It was very cool. Minister's yeah. offices back then, I think one person one or yeah. two, maybe, if you were lucky, yeah. uh, would get a lobby pass. So generally be like the director of parliament affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they would be going in and out of Parliament, yeah. and everyone else has to go by the kind of hall pass. But it's very—it's—it it is literally like a hall pass. It's very old school. Like you go to the door, and there's the the PPS guy, and you give them which, the little, which is the the parliamentary cops for those who don't know the acronym. And you give them the little card, like a, a little like physical like index card, even smaller sized card. Uh, you have to write your name and who you want to see, <laughs> and then they go and one of the pages well, no, brings yeah, it back the pages there. Brings it to the lobby desk, and the lobby desk says yes or no. I used to frequently say okay go and tell like if it was say it's Anne wanted to come in i tell the page okay go back there and look at him and says sean says no <laughs> and then when he looks dejected and doesn't understand why like, give him a few seconds and then say nah he was kidding and sometimes they would do it sometimes they wouldn't I, like and then i could see know, why the pages would be reticent and then the snapper would come and be like did they say no or did they say yes and like i check and then i just, pull the page up like, come on i told you that what are you doing? You're out. You're out. Go sit this one out. So I guess that's that's an interesting question of like, why don't like is it, anciently you know the the term lobbyist comes from from folks who would hang around in the lobbies and ask MPs to do things. So why do we now have a system where the whip gets to say you know you're in or you're out? Well, I mean to control the traffic, really. I mean that that is a place of business. Yeah. I mean, it's a place a place of parliamentary business. Like right behind that curtain, behind the house, behind like that you see on TV when you're you know watching the House of Commons, as one does. As one, and, you know, I'm sure your listenership probably watches. <laughs> they probably do. <laughs> yeah, this is probably true. They probably do. Yeah, so hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people who are listening right now are also big watchers of uh, of the hill of uh, parliamentary proceedings behind those curtains. Uh, MPs are often back there with staff. They're often, you know, some of them are, you know, in a vulnerable state of just sleeping, right? They're napping, they're tired people sometimes. And, you know, we don't want journalists and just just anybody walking just through. Riffraff. Riffraff. Yeah. <laughs> Lobbyists. No offense to any journalists who are listening. I don't consider you riffraff. Lobbyists, well, <laughs> present company. <laughs> Excluded. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so I mean, it, they, there had to be control on on. And I don't really know when the how long it's been that they've been stopping that. But and different parties may govern themselves differently. I mean, I'm sure I've seen pictures uh, published online of different parties uh, hosting lobbyists in their lobby. I know we always had a rule that we didn't allow lobbyists in the lobby, which now in my current position, mm. I think they should change that. Rule. <laughs> <laughs> there would be meetings in the lobby with like stakeholders and stuff yeah, like that yeah, from time to time, in like the little antechamber yeah. room. And, but it, and, and it, it wasn't so bad in, in but I remember there were times in government when a minister would say, you know, I did oftentimes I didn't know who these people were, and they would walk in with a, with a with an MP because people can come in with an MP and not need permission from a, yeah. from the lobbyist. And there were times when ministers would come over after and be like, what the hell is that guy doing there? Like, he came over and talked to me. Now, do I have to register this conversation? Like, I didn't set this up. He comes over and talks to me. And now I don't, now I could be in trouble with the lobbying commissioner or the ethics commissioner. You got to make sure that you're, you know, yeah. controlling this. So that, that was kind of the difficulty. So that's why we said, like, like no lobbyists when we were government. Um, uh, because we just didn't want 
to put our ministers in a position where they, you know, were having to report things or be, have have a lobbyist report something that they weren't. It was not a communication that they were wanting to have. Yeah, you, uh, you want to control your access to your ministers fairly yeah. tightly, especially because when you're in the lobby, as you said, like MPs are sleeping and stuff like that. It is kind of like. Yeah, I mean that's an example. They're, they're always well, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> just like it's just a, it's just a bunkhouse. Back then. <laughs> well, just pass well, it. Well, no, it it's just it's like long voting sessions. No, but especially during like long votes and yeah. midnight sittings yeah. and stuff like that. But it's like you know people are taking personal calls. They're they're yeah. working. You know, it's like kind of like well, a library to, at yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and they're just sitting with their own colleagues too. Like sometimes, yeah. it's like you know, they they. They're just sitting down and kind of shooting the breeze with with uh, with people because they're serving their house duty, which you know they've been assigned by the whip's office. They must spend that entire day in the lobby. No, they should be in the chamber participating in debate, but yeah, know, very often they just end up in the lobby drinking the, uh, the excellent water. coffee. Yes, excellent, excellent coffee. Just put a lime wedge in there. <laughs> they're, they're free. You may as well. <laughs> Yeah. So you, you mentioned the sort of distinction a little bit there between, you know, your experience in government and opposition. Can you, are there other sort of major differences that you sort of you know, came yeah. across? Yeah, well, I mean, so in the government lobby, the main, absolutely main difference in the government lobby versus the opposition lobby is winning a vote. You must win mm. votes when you're in government. Like, uh, when I was in the opposition lobby, you know, we were causing votes all the time just to mess with the government is it's part of the procedural kind of chess that you play where you're constantly, um, you know, just, you know, you're moving motions, you're, you're doing all these things to kind of throw the government off their game to kind of slow down the agenda or to mess up the day. And you don't really care if you win those votes because you're not supposed to, especially not in a majority situation, you know, back. The, the vote is the point because. Yeah. Yeah. Between 2015 and, 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 uh, and, and 19, we didn't expect to win a single vote. We almost won one. Yeah. You'll recall in, in 2016. Indeed. Uh, which was a lot of fun. We can talk about that. But, um, the, uh, but when we were in government, it was like, you know, every vote counted, even the procedural ones. It was like we were never to lose a vote. Uh, and, you know, there were many confidence votes. Every, every supply bill was a confidence vote. Every budget uh, every budget vote and then also the budget implementation bills were like anything that was a money bill was considered a confidence vote. Uh, but beyond that, even procedural votes, we didn't want to ever lose a motion to move to procedures of the day or a motion to, uh, like these dilatory motions that really yeah. don't mean anything to, I mean, surely they mean a lot to your listeners because they're all very well-informed <laughs> watchers of parliament. But, you know, these just these procedural dilatory motions. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, like, want to lose them. orders of the day is, is a good one because it's basically just the, like, Windows XP sound. For the House of Commons, like it's just the boot up process, essentially. Yes. Well, and all it is doing is it's it's skipping over a bunch of other rubrics in the routine proceedings, which in which the opposition can use to slow down the rest of the day. Yeah. So it, it's like it's all this procedural wrangling and chess that is a lot of fun when you are part of it and and know what. But like to the outside observer, it's like. What the hell are they doing? Why are they voting again? What the hell are they voting on? A motion to proceed towards the what now? Yeah, to, to zoom out, the government wants to work through Parliament as efficiently as possible and to pass as many bills and get their agenda through. Which is why, <laughs> if you'll recall, back in the Harper majority, they had like over, uh, I forget what the number is, you might know, the NDP was always saying it. I, it was it before was, my time. It was, you know... It was, it was, closure? Yeah, like, you know, close to 100 or maybe over 100 time allocation and closure motions. 
because that was the most efficient way to deal with an opposition who just wanted to filibuster everything. Now, we quickly adopted that model thanks to the, <laughs> <laughs> when we were in the opposition. So forcing the Trudeau's, uh, Trudeau government to eventually, uh, you know, See, the NDP is changing the way politics are done in this country. <laughs> well, now they're going, now they're voting four time allocation then. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, so, it's a, so, yeah, you have, you have one side trying to make the machine as efficient as possible yeah. while you have the other side, not, not all of the opposition, but folks, generally yeah. the opposition, particularly the official opposition, um, throwing as many sticks and as much sand in the works as they possibly can. Yes. And, and that's kind of it writ large yeah. and and that's the day in the day out is trying to make the system as efficient or inefficient yeah. depending on which side of the chamber you're sitting on absolutely and that's how the system should work right yeah and there's a millions of people who voted to have an opposition who is uh well prepared to uh you know show opposition to the government and slow down with their their agenda so anyway, that's how i see it and so the stakes are much higher when you're in government yes yeah well i mean like you you want to pass your bills. You want to pass your bills unamended. You want to defeat amendments. You want to, uh, you want to make sure that the opposition isn't, uh, you know, uh, winning on an opposition motion. Say that could, yeah. that could be uh, so. You know, going back to you know another uh, explanatory note, like uh, there's things called opposition days, which I, you guys have discussed before. But in the supply cycle, there's a, a certain number of days uh, in a in a cycle that are allotted to, to opposition parties and the opposition can basically move almost any kind of motion they want like it's, it can be very broad ranging and sometimes they can be very consequential uh, so they can be requesting documents which can be very embarrassing to the government yep. uh, they could be like having the house uh, make a statement on uh, whether or not there's a genocide occurring yeah. in uh, in China the Canada uh, China committee I think was created via yeah. opposition yeah. motion twice yeah, yeah. Um, twice indeed <laughs> yes that's true and uh you know, the, there were documents requested from uh, uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada, which uh, got refused, and then that led to uh, another, like, you know, historic motion, moment when uh, Ian the, uh, Stewart Ian was Stewart's, called before the bar. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, yes, to be admonished. For his finger wagging. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's that kind of. Uh, fun stuff that, you know, your listeners will be uh, thrilled to hear about. I, I know for a fact. That at least one of the clerks of the house, oh, the the you know one of the procedural clerks, listens to you guys. Like he's, he's we've talked about it. He, he's brought it up. He said, "You listen to the guys in short short like, Yes. So I hope he's listening. I hope he knows who I'm talking about. Very good. Yeah. So just in terms of how things operate, particularly from the government perspective. You know, at the end of the day, when Canadians go to vote, uh, you know, a number of MPs are elected for the government, and then there's the opposition. But there's a significant quality of life element to, I imagine the whips work, but also MPs in Ottawa, depending on how wide that margin is, not just majority or minority, in terms of how likely it is to win votes, um, how far away from the hill MPs are allowed to stray, basically kind of your margin for error around yeah. a particular so if you've vote. got like a five-seat majority, I imagine it's like the government is like, shock collar legal to put on MPs <laughs> in Google. Well, so, you know, way back when we were in the majority of between 11 and 15, I've already, the numbers are already, you know. It all runs together. Uh, yeah, so I don't point. remember how many, well, I don't, I don't even remember what our, our, our number was to have. Uh, As Jacques Cartier famously said, only the NDP cares about its seat count. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I think you do when you're in a slim majority. So, ah, yeah. Well, yeah, Kirtin was not in the habit of, of winning those. Yeah, that's Unfortunately right, yeah. for the rest of us, perhaps. So, but we, you know, and we had 
we had some unreliable numbers, let's say. So we had a number that we had to hit on every vote, but we had to uh, discount that. Like we had to make sure that we were not counting a few people because they were unreliable. We just like, we didn't know if they would ever show up. Sometimes they were there and I was like, great. We could have let so-and-so go to the high school graduation, uh, <laughs> but we made them stay because that person is never honest about whether or not they're going to come to vote or not. So uh, when you're in government and you need to win votes, uh, like my emails, so I used to, the way the, the votes are kind of, notif- members used to be notified about votes, was the lobby desk would basically say, you know, you could tell based on the way things were going, if you had time allocation, if you had uh, different things, you could tell when the vote was going to be on a certain piece. And so you could ahead of time say, there will be a vote at this time, bells will ring for 30 minutes, be in the chamber before then, like this one's a confidence vote. So like we, we would often have enough notice to say to members, be there. Um, now on procedural votes, those often would happen uh, spur of the moment and you'd have a 30 minute bell. Yeah. So our rule was, you gotta be 15 minutes from the hill. Yeah. So on the bells, just for, for folks who might not be aware, like these are basically, so one of my first days on Parliament Hill, I sounded really stupid and I was like, Damn, what's wrong with that elevator? And then I got laughed at. Uh, because it is it is essentially like a system of, of like soft dings yes. through the entire parliamentary precinct that sort of goes off uh, sort of with a half hour uh, to the next vote in the chamber. Yeah. Uh, so just for folks who, who have been yeah. hearing the word bells for years. It's a chime that uh, rings throughout the entire precinct. So you'll hear it in, in all the office buildings also. So the Wellington building, the Conduct building, the Justice building, the Valley building. You'll hear those chimes going while they're, they're now like a a beep. Yeah, it's like right. a sort of like elevator time, yeah. hence my confusion yeah, right, about the exactly. elevator. And uh, so, I mean, the depending on the procedure, depending on the vote itself, uh, the baseline is either 15 minutes or 30 minutes, but at the beginning of most parliaments, there's a uh, motion agreed to by all parties to make them all 30 minutes, uh, except for like a couple exceptions, um, because 15 minutes is just never enough. Uh, yeah. So all parties want their people there, so they they all agree that there's a bunch of like these housekeeping routine motions that happen at the beginning of every parliament that uh, people forget that they're these housekeeping routine motions to like suspend standing orders because that's just how things happen. But anyway, some more of that into the weed stuff that you guys love so much. One of my favorite things uh, <laughs> when I was uh, in the leader's office was uh, we had one of our, our very clever, longstanding uh, legislistance write up basically like a procedural motion for every committee. To be like, this is how we can... It, I don't remember the exact content, but it was a lot of stuff just basically stacking the deck for the opposition right. <laughs> for a lot of little things. Yeah, so that happens uh, at the beginning of every committee stuff. too. Right? Yes, exactly. So at, at, at the, at, once a parliament, you know, at the beginning of a new parliament, when a committee is struck and the members are, are named by the Procedure and House Affairs Committee and adopted in the House, then you have the membership of each of the committees. And the first thing that happens at the, at the first meeting is the election of a chair yeah. and the election of a vice chairs. And then after that, you go to moving the routine motions, which basically govern how that committee will... Uh, yeah, will creating like the governance subcommittee and yes, like, can and, we have lunches and, and like, yeah, yeah, yes. all that kind uh, of stuff. also one, of the, yeah. the, the one that people really care about is the, speak, the uh, questioning order. So, uh, you know, it's not like in the House where you kind of had this, like, whips list that's, like, predefined and, like, kind of suggested by the clerks. So, so instead of the, the, whip, the a member catching the whips, uh, catching the, the speaker's eye, uh, there's a list based on, the uh, like, the proportions in the House, and it's kind of easy and predictable, and it kind of helps everybody to have those things. Yeah. In the committees, that's the same thing, but the committees agree to it each time. So each committee could 
agree to a different rotation. Yeah. Most of them are go most of them go by the same one and those are all negotiated beforehand by the whips offices and they change from one parliament to the next because if you have uh, say in the majority days uh, there was seven government members on one side and then three official opposition and one of each of the other uh, two parties uh, and then now you have six government four official opposition one and one so that it that, I think that's right. No, it's yeah. So then one becomes chair in any case, yeah. and one of them is often like Parlsec and like doesn't actually do anything. Well, and that's another one where the the yeah. true liberals uh, change on back change on the change. Back. They, yeah. they change the standing order, but then at the beginning of each parliament, they suspend that standing order because uh, as hard as it is to be you know the opposition with you know four only four members on each committee, when you have to have six members on each committee, but you also have. 30 members in cabinet and 30 members of Republican secretaries <laughs> and, and on and on and on. I think it's more like 38 yeah, members exactly. in cabinet these days. So they, most of the liberal backbenchers will have two committees, which yeah. is like very, very busy. It's, it's yes. a lot of time. I've talked to some colleagues who have three in the NDP. Oh, three, real, yeah, real, right, because yeah. there's thir- there's what, 30-something committee or 20, yeah, that's always growing, mm-hmm. and there's 24 members. So some of them would be doing triple duty because you have your leader wouldn't be on one. Right. And... But your whip and your house leader are both on one. The occasionally. Deputy speaker won't be. Yeah, deputy speaker's be, not. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a short list of people at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. This is kind of what we were talking we were talking before we started recording about economies of scale, and yeah. this is one of them for sure. So a few questions from my end. One, we've talked a fair bit about the staff, and there's a number of different staff roles, and we can touch on that in a moment. And why wouldn't we talk about what, staff? What is people. the relationship, like the direct relationship <laughs> between MPs um, and their whip like? Obviously, the whip has, you know, it is this office and a lot of power is exerted through the staff who you said, like, make decisions about, like, hey, can we travel? Can we not travel? Can we do this? Is there a relationship between MPs and the whip? Or do MPs make personal appeal to the whip? How does that typically function? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the the whip was an MP before he was the whip or he or she was the whip, right? Like, they, they are always... Normally, the whip is always whoever's appointed whip is somebody who's been around a long time. It's somebody who has respect of their colleagues. It's somebody who understands how the place works. Someone has to know the rules at the end of the day. Yeah, right? like so, like, and, and like know how to manage their like the the caucus, right? So it's normally somebody who is uh, known in the caucus. It's normally somebody who's liked in the caucus and is good at, at you know managing these things. So they uh, they always have a relationship with most, and and some will make more of an effort than others to, you know, foster that relationship even more. Um, the whips I've worked for have all been, uh, you know, seven seven whips. Is that right? Uh, six, depending on how you count them. Depending on how you count them, six. Yeah. Um, so going back to twenty thirteen or something like that. Um, so, but you know, they've all had the respect of their colleagues, and they've all respected their colleagues, and they've all. Um, done, you know, made efforts, some greater than others, to uh, reach out, uh, and you know, some have, like they, they, they you know, at the end of the day, they're the ones who have uh, the authority to, like, authority from the standers and from the leader to make some of the decisions and, and allocate some of the resources. Uh, so they get to make those decisions, but they try to uh, wield that power, uh, you know, with more carrots than sticks. So let me give an example. When it, you mentioned committee selection a minute ago, and you mentioned like a lot of MPs wanting to be on the agriculture committee, mm-hmm. um, great committee, excellent, or or any other committee, finance committee, and do I'm sure are in uh, in high regard as well. 
Do the MPs like ask for meetings with the whip beforehand to talk oh, about yeah, their preferences? Sure. Is so, it polled in a particular the way? way? We always did it. Uh, was we would basically send out a kind of a questionnaire to yeah. our caucus and say, you know, give us your give us your power rankings. Yeah, give us give us your top three, and don't ex- don't think that you're necessarily going to get it. Um, so we would we get members to tell us what they want, and a lot of members would personally appeal to the whip, like uh, and they you know they go straight to them. And the whip you know at the very first caucus meeting will put the cell phone up on the on the on the slide and say you know if we don't have my number yet take it down and text me anytime. Like they're always wide open to their, their colleagues. And so uh, committee selection, committee assignments is a painstaking, and, <laughs> like super long job to deal yeah. with. Like, so it's a little like making a cabinet, right? Yeah. Like, yeah except yeah. with much larger numbers. Yeah. And, and you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with personalities. Like dealing with sand people. They'll be back <laughs> and in greater numbers. <laughs> it's, I've watched all the Star Wars movies. <laughs> <laughs> Stopped at episode one, I think. Well, you st- it's not a good one. Yeah, well, that's it. And I've, I've gone too far. I can't catch up now, so I've just I've given up on it. Um, but committee committee assignments, uh, we would. Um, it, it's a puzzle, right? It's trying to put together um, all these different talents, uh, but personalities, and trying to have a really good balance uh, across the different committees, uh, and you know. Beyond that, there's also favors that need to be made that, uh, you know, you know, you may hear from the leader's office that no, no, so and so. Or um, once the leader's made their shadow cabinet, sometimes you have no choice but to put the critic, the critic and, they, and, 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 and sometimes and some committees cover many different portfolios, right? Yeah. Like human resources is employment, social development, it's uh, families and social. Yeah, it can be four critics it's, for it's one committee. Yeah. Labor, yeah. So, so like, you know, then sometimes your hands are tied and, you know, in, the, in our caucus, you know, you had a, we have a, we've had an ag critic and then we've had an associate ag critic uh, who you basically covered uh, Quebec, right? So then yeah, there's two spots gone, right? And then, so then you've got to pick from two others, uh, just as an example. So it becomes, some of the job is made easy for you, but sometimes that makes it a lot harder for you because then you have very uh, disappointed people who think they ought to be on a committee and maybe they, maybe they ought to be on it. Like maybe like sometimes it's, it's just like, it's as disappointing for us making the list as it is for the people who don't get on the committee they want to be on. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it is what it is. And uh, you only get four spots per committee. And uh, and I'm sure for the NDP who only get one spot and the block only get one spot, uh, it's it's uh, similarly frustrating when people don't get what they want because, uh, you know, each of those parties has their priorities too, right? Like I'm sure the environment committee is is probably a coveted committee for the NDP as the just as the agriculture committee is uh, the conservatives, right? So yeah, a lot more. And, and sort of the, the downside that like is hard to see if you're not in the system is that like you know critic on the committee, great. If you have someone who's disappointed with their committee assignment, like they're not if you're not position, like they're not going to be looking for ways to kind of like or often not. I suppose some people might take it as a challenge, but like they're they're unmotivated. They might not be really keen to like generate opportunities to, to kind of make headlines. It yeah. does depend, but like I, yeah. I've seen definitely some like uninterested MPs who are stuck in the committee. They're not really, you know, keen on. And then yeah. it's like, that's kind of its own problem. Yeah. I, but I mean, the flip side of that, I've seen MPs who just roll with it and yeah. you know, they, they get given one or even two committee assignments that no one really wants, but they're still just happy warriors and they just truck on through. And then the, you, they, you want 10 of those people. 15, oh yeah. Like, 20. Yeah, like, you know, there's, <laughs> 
Can't have enough. I, I you know, I, I always say, you know, Dan Elvis was employee of the month every month. Caucus <laughs> 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 and Dan Elvis. I don't know if you guys know Dan, but uh, I believe he, he follows the podcast. I don't know if he listens to it. Oh, I, yeah. Well, anyway, he's he's we actually in the twenty twenty one campaign. I think we actually had employee of the month on the wall because <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's the exemplary MP. So two kind of more like you know external relations from from the whip's office questions is dealing with the counterparts in the other parties uh, and then also dealing with house leaders and sort of like what's the dichotomy there because I think a lot of people think of the house leader kind of in the same breath but like what's the distinction between those two roles and I guess you can sort of fold the party stuff into the sure the well, I mean, I'll start with the, the party stuff. Uh, what like you know one of the things you have to do in the uh, lobby desk is be pretty much in constant contact with the other lobby desks the other main lobby desks so when I was in government I was in constant contact with the NDP lobby desk because they were the official opposition and I was in very frequent contact with the liberal desk is that walkie talkies you use <laughs> no you know, we, like, I just had their, I had them on speed dial oh you got a red, like, red phone <laughs> oh yeah like, it was like I knew that number like, I, think I, I don't know it anymore but like you know my fingers could dial it without looking at the thing and you, you, you call each other like, you know, eight times a day uh, because the flow of debate is important, right? Like making sure that everything is going on time and that your next speaker is lined up and that you know when, like, it's like a radio show. You don't want dead air. Well, that's it's the worst thing. The worst, right? Or a yeah. podcast. Of course, radio shows, <laughs> radio is dead. Podcast still the radio star. Uh, uh, the, um, oh boy, here comes. No, we got some dead air. <laughs> <laughs> Did that for effect, you see. Uh, so the we would always be liaising with each other constantly to make sure that things were uh, running smoothly. And one of our rules that we would that we established early on with with these guys who are still my friends was we don't lie to each other. Like so, we were always trying to screw each other over, right? Like well, sorry, the house leaders were like the parties were always playing procedural chess, and they're always trying to do things to trip the other ones up. So, but the lobbyists would never lie to each other. So, Does that also include, like, you don't ask questions that you know the other person well, is going to be if, like... if they call and they ask a very specific question, and you say, I'll get back to you, and you hang okay. up, then you kind of get the answer. <laughs> yeah. But we, let, let me but, think but, about but, it. But, you know, we, but we would never say, no, we're not going to do that. And then do and it. And then do it. Gotcha. Um, so it, there was an honor there. Uh, I'm sure that's persisted. I, mean, I, I hope that's persisted. Uh, but I've always got along really well with my counterparts when I was doing the lobby job. Uh, so even when I, you know, so we did, uh, back in the 20, the majority from 11 to 15, uh, I was the lobby desk in the government. NDP was the opposition, official opposition desk. And the Liberals had 35 seats, and they were way down the rump. And so we moved over, we kind of played musical chairs. I went over to official opposition. Liberal guy came over to the government, which he had been in before. Uh, and we kept the same rules. We kept the same relationship, and we were always very, very upfront and, and uh, always uh, had good relationships. So, in my rule, my, my thinking was always like, I'm behind the scenes. I'm you know I'm behind the curtains. It's not up to me to be arguing and you know trying to score political points and yeah. partisan points. Like I don't. There's no worse or point more pointless venue. I hate than the phones on yeah. the lobby you know, like, staffers get like you know get, it's one thing to get into like a you know, a, a bit of a discussion, but like, you know, when you're, when you're trying to like score these points and do all this stuff, it's like that, leave that for the politicians in front of the cameras. Like, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to make this place work. So, or not work. I mean, the job, the, <laughs> as the case may be. Yeah. So in any case, we knew what our jobs was. It was like, you know, it was, uh, it's like the, like 
the coyote and the dog. Uh, uh, Roadrunner. Uh, uh, with the sheep, you know? Oh, oh yeah, where they clock out at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah, yeah. 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 So anyway, it was that kind of thing. Um, the, the other question was about the house leader's office. So I always describe, oh, I don't know, this might be wrong, but uh, I described the house leader whips relationship kind of as like the house leader setting the strategy and the whips implementing the tactics. And so that's kind of where it is. Now, that's not necessarily the case at committees, but sometimes it is. And it depends on the party, right? I think uh, the Liberals house leader, uh, Liberal House Leader's Office might be a little bit more involved with their committees, unless it's just procedure and House Affairs. But um, in any case, uh, in the House, it's the House Leader and the House Leader's staff that kind of come up with the plan of how they're going to manage a certain thing. And then it's basically the lobby desk that's going to organize the members to make sure that it happens the way it's supposed to. Um, and that's kind of a similar thing at committees. So OLO and or WIPs uh, in, in consultation with the WIPs office and House Leader's office. And it's kind of a, a group uh, approach and mostly the critic uh, for whatever file it is uh, will kind of set the strategy and the WIPs office will kind of be there to help ensure that the strategy works out the way it is intended to by, you know, working the procedural levers um, as you go through the uh, mm -hmm. process. Yeah. The, the other kind of like, I guess, external facing question there. Um, and I've forgotten it. That's fine. I've got another one. What does a bad day <laughs> in the lobby look like? Um, like a good day, I imagine. I, it obviously depends. Some, on Friday, they usually fish some, serve some sort of seafood. <laughs> oh yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah, yeah they can't carry. So that's not. That was always a kind of. Well, what? sometimes the seafood's pretty good, but they have these like chowders, and uh, that's not the what you mentioned. Not <laughs> <laughs> and Fridays, there's barely anyone there, so I guess that might be your. More seafood for me. For, <laughs> yeah, for, no, it's the Black Quebecois. No, Black Quebecois would have their whole staff come down. Oh, now I remember what it was. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll what does a bad day look like? Like, are there days where, you know, the debate doesn't go as planned, members don't show up for the vote, like, where just things aren't working? What what does that look like? And then inversely, what does a good day look well, like? Well, uh, that depends on your perspective, right? So in the government, a bad day is very different than in the opposition, a bad day. Like, yeah, like Joe Clark had a very bad day, and I'm sure the lobby desk there was pretty mortified. Right, right. And, uh, it, yeah. I'm happy to say that I, it was not me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in government, like you know, losing a vote is a bad day. Um, they had a really bad day in 2016 where they tied a vote, and uh, the speaker, speaker has to vote. To, you're having a bad day. The speaker had to, and this is with a majority, like a like a big majority. That was a bad day. That was a really good day for us. <laughs> it could have been even better if we had just one guy show up on time. Uh, we had uh, we had a Dan Albus was there though. Dan so. was there. Yeah, we had I think we had four or five people who were in Ottawa who didn't show up for that vote, and so if only one of them showed, one of them showed up while they were counting the votes, like Oof. while they were standing. So, uh, you know, if he had just showed up like a minute or two sooner, we would have we would have defeated a government bill in a majority government. Uh, and you'll recall later that week, a very angry angry liberal. Uh, House leader introduced a motion that would six? basically was a yeah, motion, motion six something like that. Would, that. that would uh, you know kind of basically Execute motion six. It, it was it was to you know rewrite the entire rule book of the House to make the opposition <laughs> completely obsolete and like pass all government bills. <laughs> yes, and that is not like the elbow gate. Yes, later that week, the the medical assistance and dying bill came back from the Senate, and then there was 
uh, a time allocation motion of some sort, and then there was a bunch of NDP MPs standing in Gord Brown's way while he was doing the whip walk, <laughs> and the Prime Minister took it upon himself to uh, go down and grab him, and his elbow ran into somebody. Anyhow, you'll recall... Famously. That was also a great day. <laughs> that was a bad day for liberals. So, uh, the, the good days are the memorable ones. So, whether they're like... Whether they're really good or really bad for yeah. you, the, they're exciting. Yeah. So I was saying this earlier this week. What's going down in the states right now? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a gong show. Like it's you know I I it's not great. Uh, you know it's for the institutions and everything. that we're shackled like, to. You know, yeah. <laughs> competent is better than a circus, but from a staff perspective. I wish I was in, like, I don't know if they have the equivalent of a lobby down there, but... They sure like, do. Uh, I think well, lobbyists were named after the American the, the lobby. No, okay. the other one. Damn, it's the UK lobby. Yeah, the UK. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, in any case, I, like, that kind of chaos is always, uh, is, are some of my funnest memories. I mean, I think back to, uh, you'll recall when uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, uh, the whole SNC lab thing, lab thing was going down, and uh, they, they were, uh, they, Bill Morneau was about to table a budget and he couldn't get a word out. Mm. He was trying to read the budget speech, and the entire opposition, I don't know if it was the entire opposition, I was for sure the conservatives were <laughs> banging the hell out of those desks. And I, I went out into, you guys know what the House of Commons looks like now in West Block. It's it's within this West yeah, Block the, courtyard. Within a room, yeah. I went out and stepped out there to listen to it, and just listening to the sound reverberate off the walls and off that glass ceiling was incredible. Uh, and, like, you know, I know what it looks like on TV. It's, it, you know, but... It's those kinds of like those events, those big procedural showdowns yeah. that are like they're thrilling for like nerds. Yeah, the, nerds I, like I guess the at, playoffs. At some, level, yeah. Or, yeah, at some level, it's like your job in government is to make CPAC boring to watch, and if you're in opposition, it's to make it fun to watch. Yeah, like fundamentally, like, like if your job is procedural, that's what you're looking for. Well, and yeah, you think of other notable times, like one of the another notable time that I it was one of the, my favorite moments. Was when Pierre Polyev said uh, to he was accusing Bill Morneau of, of devastating the shares of <laughs> Marshall before uh, after he had tabled this bill or ahead of tabling a bill that was going to impact Marshall and then they said like well you won't say it out there uh, you, you won't say it here you won't say it. now the reason they say that is because you know whatever you say in the House of Commons is privileged and uh, you know it can't you can't be uh, you know sued for libel or, or uh, for anything you said in the chamber, so they're saying, "Up here, you won't you won't say that outside." And he says, "Well, if I say it out there, will you answer it?" And then he stood up, put his button buttoned up his button, <laughs> walked out the lobby, walked out, walked down the aisle into the foyer, and asked the asked the same question. And that was just like an awesome moment. Uh, so it's you know he did dial it back a little bit, as I recall. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I still don't think more no answer. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, my question is, is about just kind of like, you, you were there from 2013. Um, yeah. How have you seen kind of like the institution change and uh, like, you know, the relationships are part of that, but in general, like, has it changed or? Well, I mean, the most obvious change is hybrid. Is hybrid yeah. Parliament. Yeah. So like, uh, I mean, I, I was there, I was there way before COVID. I was there through COVID. And I was there, you know, up until... <laughs> three months ago so uh uh yes i've seen a change uh the hybrid is the biggest change and i think unfortunately some of those changes unfortunately or unfortunately depends what you think but some of those changes are here to stay yeah um uh our guys went kicking and screaming uh when hybrid came in 
uh, you'll recall the earlier days of the, the lingering pro- I remember uh, Scott Reed going to Parliament the one day that they were like had to like agree to like yes. you know, however many people and he was like well when King Henry VIII dissolved Parliament because of the plague or whatever yeah, he wrote a blog post <laughs> I remember he, that that was he wrote great a blog posts and accused Mark Strahl and Candace Bergens of being dictators or something like that so um, but that's all. He is yeah. rocking wicked flow these days. He's got a sick ponytail, yeah. He rocks. Yeah. No, oh, he's sorry. great. He's great. And, and you know, he, uh, that was a tough time for a lot of people. Like, there was, you know, we were all trying to figure out what the hell COVID was. Uh, I remember the day that COVID, uh, went, like, the dirty beers stood still. Yeah. Uh, they, the day the NBA broke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, uh, it was, I was in the a meeting of the Board of Internal Economy. Uh, and, uh, I think I can say this. Um, <laughs> they've opened it somewhat yeah, the, the, the infamously secretive board yeah, of internal economy yeah. um, that so, one procedural clerk is going to just yeah. like, throw the headphones <laughs> off right I remember uh, it was like the deputy the, the deputy uh, I think this was in public this was in public <laughs> <laughs> it was like the deputy public health officer was there giving a kind of giving a briefing and I remember like he was you know kind of giving the same briefing you would get on TV. And I remember the MPs were just like, hey, Doc, level with us. What the hell is going on here? Like, enough with the jargon. Like, what's going on? Do we need to shut this place down? Should we be sending people home? Like, are people in danger? Like, what's going on? And then I remember seeing a staffer walk in and whisper into Pablo Rodriguez's ear and whisper into, I it was Pablo then. And, and then Dominic LeBlanc got up and ran out of the room. And I was like... Sophie got sick? Yeah. Yeah. Just a few minutes later, kind of broke on Twitter. That's uh, that's, that's the day me and Etienne always are like. It was like when Sophie got tested positive. Was yeah. like that was it. That yeah, was she was patient zero in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> I I was in a meeting talking to a client at the time, and like we were presenting a comm strategy. And, like, every section of the comm strategy had, like, a, a section I had wrote in. In the event that COVID gets worse, like, X happens. And they had a big conference, millions of dollars sunk into this thing. And they were adamant, like, no. We're, we're going through with the conference. We'll take all the measures we need to. And we weren't looking at our phones at the time. And then we are in the it's elevator polite. on the way down. And we're, like... And, like, an hour later, they'd canceled everything. Like, it was just... Well, I remember, so, I believe that day, we ended up you know, going to the government health leader's office to kind of negotiate uh, what is the closure of Parliament going to look like. I remember the, like, yeah, the order that came. It was, like, the, I think that was the Friday. That was, like, we're close to, like, mid-April or yeah, whatever. It was, was mid-April. It was going to be, you know, suspend the sitting for two weeks. Yeah. But then it was going into a two-week break or whatever like that after that. So, you, you know, you ended up getting a month. So, I remember being, like, sweet. Like, a month, that's not sitting. Uh, and like we had also negotiated like a bunch girl. of we had, we had like negotiated a bunch of extra uh, opposition days. Like, oh no! Yeah, I'm like oh great, we're gonna get these more opposition days. And like yeah, this is, like this is great for us. Like government's not gonna get anything done. We get more opposition days, uh, and then you know it got worse. And then they had to recall the house, and we like kind of had to come up with an agreement to say like okay, we like it has to be done in person. So basically, it's going to be the speaker, the house leader. Uh, and like a smattering of MPs from each side and we tried to make it proportional in case there was a vote yeah. and we still had members who were like I'm coming anyway we were like okay well please stay in your office if if we get the sense that one or the other parties is just going to flood the house to win a vote then we'll call you and you, and you can come so but our guys were really good about it they stayed in their offices they didn't they didn't come um, but the, you can only do that for so long and so we would negotiate these 
other proportions, right? So at one point it was like little set 18, we had whatever, I can't remember the numbers, it was like 18 and 15 and whatever. Um, uh, the, the principle was always like, no party, no no side should be able to win without the support of one other party. Yeah. Uh, so the government shouldn't be able to win without the support of one other party and the opposition shouldn't be able to win without Everyone. Yeah. opposition. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the baseline, that's how it was going to work in the chamber. Um, so that's kind of how we worked out the, the proportions. And but and, and so it, we had some caucus members who were like, absolutely, you know, whatever, I'll stay home, you'll do whatever you tell me. And we had some who were like, I'm coming to Ottawa no matter what. And we had basically, we had, we, we canvassed the entire caucus saying like, do you want to be here? A lot said yes, a lot said don't care, a lot said uh, no. And then we made a rotation of that. So we would say, okay, if you absolutely want to be here, here's your day that you're going to be here. Because we're still going to keep to these these proportions so like like it was so much more administrative bullshit to try to just keep these numbers and keep the caucus happy to try to fit within this thing and like you know we had a lot of people saying like we should all just be there this isn't a real thing COVID, COVID's not, you know <laughs> and it was like unique you know, caucus management problem well, it was like it was it was a lot it was a lot for for a long time. Yeah, at the time, there, there's a lot of like ge- geographical things to think through because when like flights are getting suspended, MPs yeah. depending on where they were. Well, we had some who drove from and northern BC, like drove to Ottawa. Oof. Yeah. 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 That mm-hmm. rings a bell. Yeah. But I, I mean, think I, was, I, think yeah, I can't through that. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Bob. I didn't know if I could say Bob. I was like, I'm gonna Bob. drove to Ottawa like twice. Yeah. Um, he rocks. Like, yeah, he's awesome. Like, uh, and you know, he's a you know, he just wanted to be there for his, his constituents. He wanted to, like, a lot of them were doing it out of sense of duty, not just because they were being, they yeah, being yeah. They wanted to be there because the country was going through a crisis and they wanted and to be there. that's what you're no, I, I gotta say, is a guy who cares about the institution. He was the FE chair when, yes. uh, when Charlie was yeah. vice chair and, like, really just, like, very thoughtful guy, really good. D- didn't talk to him about guns ever, so I hear he has some opinions on that stuff that I might not agree with. But like, he was fantastic on the ethics stuff. Yeah, no, right. He's a yeah, awesome, lovely guy. Awesome dude. Uh, that's the one thing that, like, you know, uh, having spent all this time on the hill, I've, you know, I've been, I've had the pleasure and the honor to work with a lot of wonderful people uh, in caucus and outside of caucus, in the Conservative Party and outside. Yeah, like to some extent, you must have known every MP who's gone through the House in the last, like... Conservative ones, yeah. I mean, Yeah, yeah. That, sorry, yeah. caucus member, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, I know, I know a bunch of the... I know the NDP ones better than the Liberal ones because we've shared a lobby for, yeah. for a while. Um, uh, but I, I still... I, I, there's a bunch of Liberal MPs that I'm friendly with, too. That touches on one other question I had, which is how is sharing... How, going from government where you have your own lobby... To the other side, where you're splitting a lobby with the Greens, the Bloc, the NDP, how does that change the dynamics in the lobby in terms of how you know candid people are, <laughs> yeah. what they do, how they? Well, it's funny the the uh, the House administration measures out the opposition lobby based on the proportion of seats that they have in the House, like to the inch. Like, yeah, it's baller. They measure it. Right I'm, so down. I've never been in the opposition lobby. Oh, so. okay. Well, nah. you go in there and. Well, like, you, you simply must. It's wonderful. This <laughs> yeah, time the year. MVP's got like, you know, it's got, pretty, got, it's like, pretty the sad. Size right. of station yeah, wagon. Like, yeah. yeah, they don't have like a lot one. Of, is there orange tape on the floor? There, there's like, like, there's like velvet lines, not velvet, but you know, those like, really? those like, whatever that little cords. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they got those. Wow. That is not what I would have imagined. And like the conservative area is way bigger right yeah Yeah, like 119 to 24 to 32 it's almost like two-thirds of the room yeah yeah and like so like it's oftentimes vacant 
like there's no conservatives sitting there and then you have the other parties just like <laughs> the NDP at one table yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so it's, it's it's comical in that sense uh, or not depending on your perspective it's fine uh, but it's fine yeah it's fine. And, and you know like and we were talking about this earlier I mean the, the, everybody well, not, look for the most part get along everybody like it's it's that same thing I was saying earlier like you, you save it for the cameras um, like the NDP lobbyist I don't mind saying his name Anthony uh, is like beloved by everybody uh, like the entire conservative caucus like they walk by and they stop and chat with him like he's um, so and he's uh, been there for since like Alexa McDonough I believe like not in the lobby, lobby but he's been yeah. around yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's been around the hill for a long time he yeah. rocks yeah. yeah yeah, he's great so I mean uh, and shout out to Anthony I don't, I don't think he listens to the show no I no, he should <laughs> uh, the uh, I know that the anyway I, I'm not going to start telling tales some parties don't get along well I, I can I can imagine <laughs> so I, I guess to um, you know, talked a little bit about like the the COVID hybrid stuff. We're kind of at like fifty odd minutes, but just uh, if you want to speculate a little bit on the future of like what do you think is going to stick, what's not going to stick? I think the voting app is staying. Um, I think like the people who say that they that we should be in person, we should be standing to vote, we should be. It's like they're also when it's when it's their turn to have a you know have a dentist appointment or or uh, their kids got a recital like they'll also be like can i can i uh, can i take this one on my phone but so uh like and and you know i get it right like the option is there now like this this thing is out of the box it's never going back in look after the next prorogation or after the next um dissolution of parliament they're gonna have to pass another motion to bring all that stuff back in unless yeah. between now and uh, dissolution, they actually amend the standing orders, change yeah. the standing orders, um, which they probably have the support of the NDP to do at least on the hybrid on the voting. I think they might even have it on the hybrid uh, sittings uh, because you have you know the the NDP whip and house leader are way the hell out in Vancouver and, and, <laughs> and Burnaby, New Burnaby, uh, New Westminster, and uh, and Victoria or where, where North, Island, North Island, Island Power River. River. Yeah, like mm-hmm. uh, they're they're pretty you know they're pretty far away. It's a commute. Yeah, yeah. it's a long commute. So uh, I, I suspect that uh, leadership and you know, the leaders from Burnaby also, I suspect the leadership of the NDP is favorable to hybrid. Um, so I think, oh, who knows, I'm not at home. Uh, I don't want to see the standing orders changed uh, to do that because I do think that it's great to have uh, the members in person. I would like to see hybrid go away. Yeah. I, I, you know, like, I'd like to see the compromise of hybrid debate going away but voting staying like you know yeah. that one's just too damn convenient for all ways frankly like as an opposition uh the voting by app thing was kind of a pain in the ass because it was like your ability well, now it's to like, it's just a fait accompli now yeah. right like if if everybody can be near the phone and they can all vote then you have like, to convince more liberals to like go to the lake and then like try to get them to drop their phones. Yeah, exactly. So there's no surprise votes that you could win. There's no, there's no like, you know, counting people at the airport and like trying to like, you know, pull a fast one on them with a surprise vote. Yeah. All the gamesmanship we talked about in the first half is kind well, of and beyond that. I mean, this, this motion that they passed at the beginning of this parliament, they've also made it so that all these substantive votes on legislation are automatically deferred until the following day after QP. Nah. When everybody is there. That's no fun. Right? So you can't, like, have, like, an end-of-day vote when, like, somebody may have, you know, been on the way to the airport at the time or, like, uh, or already be in the air. Like, so they've made the votes that much more predictable. They've made the votes, uh, you know, you can do them from a plane uh, if it has Wi-Fi. Like, so... 
you know, I get it. Like it's the work-life balance and all that stuff. But, you know, as, as a purist and as somebody who's enjoyed all these like uh, occasions of, of chaos, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a shame to see the, the chaos is going away. And there's, there's a real value to that too, in the sense that like, I think it forces the government to be mindful of how it comports itself in, in parliament. Cause I think when you have a government that, that's high handed, and wants to always get its way is when you have oppositions that are looking harder for these kinds of opportunities to screw them. So there's a bit of like a feedback loop there that it's like, you can only push so hard before you hit real friction. Um, so in that sense, I think that was a useful feedback mechanism. Uh, and certainly in the Harper government, like you mentioned, like, you know, the NDP. Yeah, they were never heavy handed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, ex- exactly. Yes. But yeah, they were, they were so heavy handed that like it actually became an issue. And part of that look, and I'd be the first to say the liberals have been as heavy handed in their legislative tactics. But like during the Harper years, it got media attention, right? Yeah. Like, and perhaps there's a bigger conversation there about why that Fed is. into an existing narrative, perhaps. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But like. That was useful, right? To have be able to, to create a bit of that feedback loop through through opposition channels and, and make use of the the opportunities you have in the house to to sort of make your case to Canadians, and and sort of not having that anymore, I think, is a real loss. Yeah, I think the the friction that real in person parliament induces. There's kind of an expression uh, when comms people are talking about like what's being published by journals and say like, oh, that's a procedure story. Yeah, shrug yeah. it off. Yeah. As if it's inconsequential. Process story. Um, they, build, they build up. Yeah. Did I say procedure? Process yeah. story. Yeah. Um, but not only do they build up, like those, a lot of democracy is about procedure. Yeah, and it's so about that's the institutions. The whole point. In and, the and, you know, how they function and yeah. the way they function and how much friction there is. Fundamentally, we do not want parliament to be a well-oiled machine. Um, that just passes bills very quickly without substantive debate uh, that people have, no, you know. You 12 rounds of voting for the speakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's an habit of flow. Yeah, so. yeah. There's some give and take. No, there. I remember, uh, let's say, you say like the process stuff. I remember like you know, there would be things happening at a committee that, you know, we'd, we'd be putting all kinds of energy into, uh, say it was a filibuster or some sort uh, or something. Uh, and we'd be like going to the comms guys and they'll be like, yeah, you see what we're doing here? Like, yeah, you, you know, talk to the journalists, uh, get them to watch this. And they're like, they don't care about the stupid <laughs> committee. Like, shut up, stop coming with this dumb idea. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm a sucker for a process story, but, you know, I was a process guy. Yeah, I think this is the, the right venue for that. Yeah. So, so, Sean, thank you very much. Uh, great to have someone with you with your insight and experience on here. Well, thank you, guys. You know, I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wore my shortest pants. Very good. Right here, so. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. Cheers. Hi, everyone. Thank you, guys.